You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. This week it kicks off our, uh, our spring break in Moscow. And so uh, also this past week, um, we, uh, we had the chance to celebrate my youngest son, Jack, uh, his birthday. He turned seven years old this past week. And so Jack is, he's an interesting kid. Uh, he, uh, we kept asking him like weeks leading up to it, hey, what do you want for your birthday? And he was like, oh, I don't know. He like never would really name anything. So we're like, we don't know what to get, the, what to get him in. But he kept talking about, uh, he's got a friend in his class. I'm not, I'm not sure the kid's name. But uh, this friend, a couple, a couple months ago, he went and visited a museum up in Spokane uh, that had a big exhibit on the Titanic. And so he's been talking about the Titanic and like drawing pictures of the Titanic and like coming home from school, this kid in his class is like evangelizing him about the Titanic. And like he brings this book and reads it during free read time at school. And so, so Jack's like been stoked about the Titanic. So we're like, all right, well, Jack, would you like to go to that museum and see, see this museum? I mean, it's kind of strange for a seven-year-old birthday to go read about this mass death that happened, this tragedy. But, uh, but uh, hey, that's what you're into. Um, and so we, uh, so we, we talked about it and uh, we said, well, maybe we'll do that for your birthday. And so... Uh, it was this past week, and it was a busy week, and a lot. so we celebrated some, and we said, hey, we're going to open up presents on Saturday. Uh, that's when, you know, everything slows down for a family, and we have some time to really uh, give you our attention. And, uh, and so we started coming to, to Saturday, and, and April and I said, you know, we said we'd take them to that museum, but it was like Saturday after this really busy week, and our family were like, do we really want to drive to Spokane? I'm like, I don't know, maybe we could, maybe we could go see a movie instead. And, uh, and so he comes into our room at 7 o'clock on Saturday morning, and uh, he says, Dad, are we going to see the Titanic? And he has this picture they drew of the Titanic, a fresh picture of the Titanic. And, uh, and said, let's go. And so we said, all right, well, we're, this is his birthday, so we're going we're gonna, to you know, do what he wants to do. So we got up and drove to Spokane yesterday and uh, went to this museum. And, and actually, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool experience. It's been a while since I've been to a museum. And, uh, and to walk through and read all the placards. And of course, man, I wanted to read every one of them. The kids are like, oh, that's cute. All right, let's move on. And they're like, ran through it three times by the time I'm in the first room. And uh, they're in the first room. So I'm reading stuff. And uh, just it was a really, really good experience to walk through and imagine what was it like to be on the Titanic. And they talked about the furnishings of this new ship on its maiden voyage and, and how it was just exquisite and opulent and so much cooler uh, and a step above everything else at, at the time and, um, and, and reading through and looking at the stuff and, and, uh, and then you get to this room and like the, the colors in the room change to red and it's like this is the boiler room they're talking about what it's like in there and then there's this drastic change where it gets dark and it's this blue light and it, with this like ripple effect over it. it's like you're underwater and it's like this is now they're going to talk about it sinking and so they had all these big stories up on the wall of these people and their story and how they got on the ship and what their, what their life was like before they got on the ship and, and uh uh, and then there's this ominous moment, like, what happened to them? And uh, when, you, when you got into the museum, there was this, it gave everyone a card that had a, like a, uh, uh, a description of this person's life and where they were from and what their family and, and who was with, on the ship with them. And, and then there's this ominous moment, like, well, did they make it? And you get to the last room, and there's this huge list of all the people who survived and all the people who perished. And the Titanic went down. And, and so you go and you find your name of the person on your card that you've been reading about and learning about all this time. And, and, uh, and it's like this moment of like, well, Jack, who's like, yeah, I made it. Yeah, right. And the rest of it, like me, I was like, wow, I didn't make it. That was, that was intense. And, uh, 
And so it was, a, it was a cool process of walking through that and seeing that. And uh, where we're at today, if, you, if you're in your scriptures, uh, if you would open that up to Luke chapter 14. And uh, I hope that you would bring it. We'll project it up here as always. Um, but if there's some stuff you're going to want to look at, and you're going to want to see, is that really there before and after what we're going to read today? And so I encourage you to open up your scriptures. Where we're at right here is, is um, in the scriptures is uh, Jesus is it's a section of teaching. We've, we've done a lot where we looked at what Jesus did. And right now, just like um, a couple weeks ago with the prodigal son, we're looking at a section of scripture where Jesus is teaching. It's less about what he's doing, but more about what he's saying. So right now, it, it's, a, it's a chapter. It's actually right before the prodigal son story and parable. And uh, it's a story where Jesus is, uh, this section of teaching, he's communicating, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And he's, and he's trying his best to communicate to those who are around him, you need to be in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where it's at. There's an invitation for you to be in the kingdom of God. And he's saying, hey, you're headed towards something that's not good. <laughs> where you're headed is not what's best. Where you're headed is dangerous. And, and to go back to that Titanic picture, you had this, as I walked through these displays and read these cards about these people's lives, though it's all history and I'm reading about what happened, in my mind I'm thinking, oh, get off the ship, don't get on. No, you should have taken the other ship that you were going to take. You should, you should stay with your family and not go to New York. Like just these thoughts that I had, these warnings that I wanted to give them, knowing where it was headed. And as we read John chapter 14, or sorry, Luke chapter 14, that's where Jesus is. He's saying, guys, where you're headed is not good. Please get off that ship and get onto my ship. And that's, that's what he's trying to make clear. The setting here in, in John chapter 14, sorry, Luke chapter 14. I don't know why I want to be in John so bad. Luke chapter 14, as he's surrounded, as you see the chapter opens up, and Jesus surrounded, he's at a, he's at a, a meal with, surrounded by religious leaders. It says a prominent uh, Pharisee, a prominent religious leader it's his, at his house. And they're having a meal together. And this was not uncommon for, for Jesus to be invited to these meals with these religious leaders. Um, sometimes they were like, they really wanted to hear him teach and see what he had to say. And sometimes they were like, and that's intriguing what he said. And sometimes they, at this point, uh, this is, he's, he's been to several meals. And as you'll see, this is, this is the last time he has a meal with them. You'll find out why uh, as we read through this. Um, that that uh, they would come together. And at this point, it says in the opening uh, opening verses of, John, of Luke chapter 14, that uh, they were watching him. They were watching to see what he did. And there was a guy that comes in who's, uh, who has some ailment. Uh, the commentators call it dropsy. He had this swelling. It seemed like something was going on that wasn't, uh, wasn't healthy with him. And they, it, commentators think it was a, it was a trick. They, were, they, put, they brought this guy in and set him in front of Jesus to see what he's going to do. And it was a Sabbath day. And so Jesus, he says, oh, I see what's going on here. And he says, hey, guys, tell me, and really he says, tell me one more time, because this is the sixth time he's done this already. Uh, he says, guys, tell me, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? And they are silent. They're like, you tell us. And so they're like, one more time, we want to see if we can catch you one more time doing what we think is not okay. And so he says, all right, well, I'll heal him. And so he heals this guy, he embraces him, and, and seems to send him on his way. And then everybody's just watching him, it's silence. And it's like, Lunch, this lunch date's getting a little awkward. And uh, so they went from watching him, and then when we pick it up in, uh, in, in verse 7, it's, it seems that Jesus now turns the table. Now he's watching them, and he begins to observe what's going on there. <clears throat> so uh, so if, you're, if you have the scriptures there, if you'd open that up, uh, again, verse 7, we're going to read. Um, read there through, starting out reading through verse 11. When he noticed how his guests picked the places of honor at the table... He told them this parable. 
When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. And then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. Verse 10. When you, when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move out to the better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the setting here is uh, a lot of times when they have these big meals like this, they would sit in like a, a big U-shaped table, okay? Imagine a big U-shaped table. And then at the head of the table would be right here kind of at the bottom, at the bottom of the U. And the, so the most important people would sit there where everyone could see them, where they were the center of attention, where it was, it was clear that they were, that was like the, that was the good place to sit. And so that as Jesus tells this parable, he's, a, he's observing what's going on and seeing these religious leaders come in and he's saying, okay, I see what's going on here. I see what's going on here and how, the, how they're functioning and how they're jockeying for position. And so uh, he tells this parable, essentially saying, I, I know what's going on here. Let me tell you how, again, what he's saying. This is how the kingdom of God works. And it's a little different than how you guys operate. Now imagine with you to, to bring this parable into modern day. Imagine, uh, imagine you go to a wedding. And so the, a lot of times the weddings these days, there'll be a wedding, a ceremony at one place, and then a reception will be somewhere else. So probably uh, imagine you're, you're, you've been invited to the wedding and then you go to the reception and you lost your directions or you got lost on the way to the reception or something like that. And so you show up just a little bit late. By the time you get there, everyone's already in there and began to, and, and seated and, uh, and, and then you're, you're scanning the crowd looking for a place to sit, to sit and you see a table kind of in the middle. Really, it's a pretty good seat. And, and so you're like, oh, there's a, there's a good place to sit. So you start working your way through the crowd and, and wake, make, making your way up to that table and you, you, you pull out a seat and you sit down. And then just moments after you sit down, someone comes up to you and taps you on the shoulder and says, excuse me, you're, you're in my seat. And you realize what you've done is you've sat at like the table with the with the, the bridal party and uh, you got in one of their seats. You're like, oh snap, they had gotten up to get their meal already. I came in late. Now I'm in one of their seats and you know, I just, when, by the time I got here, I was like, this is a good seat. I'm gonna sit here. So, so you're like, oh, stink. You know, so then you're like, gotta get up and you're like all apologizing to, this, to, the, to the bridal party. And, uh, and you're like, so you're, then you're like, well now where am I gonna sit? So you make your way back to the annex, back in the back where the overflow area is, where they don't even have tables. It's just like seats along the, along the wall. And so you're like, oh, well, I guess I'll sit here. And by the time I get you know, my meal, all the good stuff's gone. And, uh, and so you're like, feeling a little bummed, right? So Jesus says, yeah, don't do that, right? If you're gonna get a good seat, this is how you do it. What you do is you start off and you go back to the annex and you sit along the wall, right? That's where you start. Then when the groom and the, the bride come through and they're like shaking everybody's hand and saying hello and thanking them for coming, they'll like recognize you and the groom will be like, bro, I haven't seen you forever. Dude, what are you doing back here? Come up here and sit with me, with my friends. I would love to catch up and hear what's going on in your life. That's the way you do it, Jesus says. Then you get a good seat out of the deal and everybody's like, oh, look at this guy. He got moved from the annex and the wall to up here in the front. Makes sense. So Jesus is saying, hey, that's, that's, how it go, that's how you should do it. And that may seem a little odd. It may seem like he's just giving some good social advice, which to some extent is good social advice. You should take that. If you don't get anything else out of this morning, just like say, hey, that's how you get good seats at a party, all right? Um, if I can sermonize this a little bit, if we look and say, okay, surely that's not all Jesus is saying, that there's more to this, we could say that it's better not to overestimate your own importance which can put you at risk of public disgrace. It's better for others to recognize you. <clears throat> it's better for others to recognize who you are than for you to tell them of your own importance. 
Okay, so, so you're beginning to see Jesus is trying to speak to humility. That the character of a person who lives in the kingdom of God is one who's humble. It doesn't assume too much about themselves. We see the, 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 the writer Paul write about this in, in Philippians chapter 2. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Um, think of others, others better than yourself. And so uh, here, here's the principle that we can take away from this parable, that operating in God's kingdom means we let God worry about our re- reputation and our status and where we sit. So to follow after Christ, to, do, to be like Christ and, and, and operate in his kingdom, then we say, hey, God, you are God, and I'm going to let you be my PR manager, okay? I'm going to let you be worried about what people think about me. If I worry about that, I'll get overwhelmed. I'll hold my life too tightly in my hands, and I'll try to control everything. This is what, this is what we talked about a couple weeks ago with, uh, when Jesus said, hey, don't worry, don't worry. Instead, let me worry about it for you. Let me take care of you. And so Jesus is saying, hey, when you come into a party, just don't worry about it. And if you need to be honored, you will be honored. He goes on and tells another parable. Uh, Again, sitting around this feast, around this table, and around this meal, uh, you'll see this common thread throughout these three parables that we look at. And let's pick up in, in Luke chapter 14, verse 12. He says this, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends and your brothers or sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do... They may, ha- they, uh, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. Verse 13, when, <clears throat> but when you give a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So again, Jesus gives us this other picture. He says, hey, if you're going to throw a party, this is how you do it. What was common in their day, he speaks, he's speaking to what, what was normal, what, what people always did. He says, when you, if you're going to throw a party and you're going to have a feast, uh, you're going to have a banquet, you're going to have a meal together, uh, invite people that, um, don't, don't invite the people that you actually usually invite. What was normal at that time is there was this, this normal practice in, in society at that day was uh, to invite people. This was like a business practice almost. almost. It was a business expense. You could write this off on your taxes. You throw a huge party and, uh, and everybody comes and, and shows up and, and this is like there's tons of networking that goes on. This is a these business deals go down at these parties. Uh, and if you invite them to your party, then they're going to invite you to their party. And so this is how society functioned. All the, all the cool people, all the important people, all the rich people, all the business owners, they would, they would get together and have these big meals together. And then you would, you would grow in reputation by how good your party was. And then if you had a great party, then they'd invite you to your party, or to their party. And they'd be like, look who's at my party, the guy who throws the good party, right? So this must be a good party. And so anyhow, they would just totally feed off of each other and, and, and use each other to build themselves up and build up their own, their own kingdoms, if you will. So Jesus is saying, don't do it like that. Look, if you're going to throw a meal and throw a party, look, you could bless yourself, essentially. You were paying paying for the party by the people you invited because of what business you would be able to, and and deals you would be able to pull off while we were gathered together. So it may have been a big expense to throw this party and all the meals and all the the stuff that you had involved at your your shindig, but, uh, but it would essentially pay for itself over time because of how you could use that to leverage that opportunity through your network and your relationships. Jesus is saying, look, don't worry about that. Don't do that stuff. If you have the, the opportunity to throw a big party, pull, pull people in who never get invited to this stuff, who can't repay you. Essentially what he's saying, he's, he's saying operating, uh, or he's saying trust that God hasn't given you what you have so that you can use it to make more for yourself. 
He's given you what you have so you can bless others with it. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to throw parties like this, then bless other people with it. Don't just make more for yourself. Again, he's saying, trust me and I'll provide for you. Okay? And you get the opportunity. I'm blessing you with stuff so that you can provide for other people, so you can bless other people. You have so that you can give. So he's, he's saying here, he essentially says, okay, in this parable, I'm telling you how to use what you have to bless other people. Uh, to simplify that, don't just be nice to those who will who be nice to you back. Don't just hang out with people who make you look good. Don't be selfish, but be generous to others. So what we have here is two parables, one about how to interact socially and trust God with your reputation. Another parable about the stuff that you have and how you use what you have to build relationships, to win friends and influence people. He says, don't do that towards people that, you, uh, that are like you, but do it towards people who don't have anything. Bless other people. And then he, then he ends it with that statement, verse 14, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So in the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, you need to look beyond what you see around you and what you can get out of right now and out of this life and consider what I have for you in the next life. And he's alluding to something beyond whatever their, what their surroundings, beyond this world, beyond uh, what we're experiencing now, and says there's something coming when the resurrection of the righteous happens, and then you'll be repaid. Then you'll really be blessed. So there's a question here that then is, there's like, well, these are two hard teachings about that really go against the grain of, of how this world functions and how people in our world function. Uh, the question, the world's question is, but how will I get ahead in life if I'm not hustling to outperform others? If I'm not throwing the big party and inviting important people, and if I'm not trying my best to get the good seat and trying to weasel my way into the crowd and try to meet those important people at the head table, and uh, how am I going to get ahead in life? And the answer, the kingdom answer that Jesus gives is, he gives it both in verse 11 and in verse 14. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Verse 11. Then in verse 14, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So he says, look, the way things happen, the way things function in the kingdom of God, the way things function in the way I made them function, the way that's best for you is like this. If you try to make much of yourself, then you'll be humbled. But if you are willing to humble yourself to choose that, then you will be exalted. If you forego the pleasures and the attention and the uh, meeting your earthly desires here, if you forgo that for now, I will, I will bless you in the future at the resurrection of the righteous. So those are challenging teachings. Those are challenging teachings that Jesus gives us. And, uh, and honestly, there's some good sermon in there. We could stop there and be like, oh, wow, I needed to hear that today because I, I have a real humility issue. Or, you know, I, I really am selfish with my stuff. I use it for me and I use it to win friends that will then bless me. But there's something else going on here. I don't know if you feel it. You read through those and you're like, okay, I kind of get it. But especially that get a good seat, that was weird. Why is he talking about that right now? And we were moving along talking about how to pray and how to trust God and not worry. And we're talking about heaven and hell and money over the past couple of weeks. Why is he bringing this up now? These are two great stories about how to live like Jesus. And they instruct us on how to follow Jesus and trust God to take care of us. But there's more going on here. 
And if we're not careful in what we're really prone to do, if we, were, if we were, consider ourselves Christians here today, then what we're real prone to do is we just made two new boxes on our list of things to do. And so we think, okay, now that's what I got to do. If I can just do this in social settings, if I treat others like this and I uh, carry myself like this, then I'll be doing it right. Then I'll be okay. And I can check off that box and say, look, God, what I've done. I'm doing it right. We're very prone to look in the teachings of Jesus and say, okay, God, what do I need to do to be okay with you? What do I need to do to please you so that you'll like me and you'll bless me? Just like with the prodigal son story last week, both sons were trying to get what they could out of the father. And what, what, what Jesus is saying and with the prodigal son story uh, and the father that said is like, hey, don't worry about what you can get from me. What you want is me. Not what you can get from me, but, what you, what we, but to get him, to get relationship with the Father, to get relationship with God. And so there's more going on here. And if we're not careful, we'll just add these things to a list of good deeds that we parade around our Christian community and say, hey, look how humble I am. Look how generous I am. And then we'll be right back to where we started, right back with these religious leaders that Jesus is sharing this meal with, right back to where they are of creating lists of things to do and then judging each other based on how, how humble or how good or how religious or how holy or how they carry out their religious practices. And resonate, we are prone to do the exact same thing, to jockey for position among ourselves and be so consumed with how we, how we compare to one another that we miss out on what God's really inviting us into. And so as we read these two parables, you need to know that there's something deeper going on here. There's a deeper meaning. And just like with the, in John chapter, Luke chapter 15, just like in Luke chapter 15 with the story of the lost things, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, those first two parables set the stage for what's coming in the third parable. So that's, that brings us to uh, verse 15. I want you to know, hey, don't miss this point. Jesus is pointing to something else, especially that last comment of the, speaking of the resurrection of the righteous. He's, he's, he's pointing to something else. And the whole, the whole setting that they're in, this feast, this meal, and all of his parables are speaking to when you have a feast, when you have a meal, when you have a banquet, when you have a big party. You know why Jesus talks about this all the time? Because he loves parties. He loves parties. His first miracle in the book of John, uh, he, he turns water to wine, which what a great place to start because he loved a good party and he wanted to have a good party. And when he talks about the kingdom of God, he talks about it like it's a party. When he talks about, essentially what he's saying here is heaven. When you get to fully be with God and God gets to fully be with us and we're fully in his presence, he says it's going to be like a party. And he uses this imagery, this, uh, this, these parables all the time throughout his, his, his teachings in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all over the place. He says it's going to be like a party. It's going to be like a wedding feast. It's going to be like a banquet. And he uses this, this picture of inviting people into it and people getting into the banquet over and over and over again. Why? Because he wants you to understand it's going to be like a party. When we think about heaven, sometimes we think about sitting on clouds, strumming a harp with wings. No, it's going to be like a party and we're going to be feasting and it's going to be good. And this is a side point, but whenever you get, find yourself wanting what the world provides and saying, hey, if I could just get some of that and I want to fulfill my desires, uh, you need to know that there's a feast coming. There's a party coming, a banquet coming. When you, all of your desires that you have that can never be fully fulfilled here on earth and in this life will be fulfilled at that time. 
when all things come together, when God makes all things right and he brings us into his presence, then we get to experience eternal life as we are created to experience it with him. Oh, and it's gonna be good. We're gonna eat well. We're gonna enjoy each other. And we're gonna enjoy being with him. And it's gonna be good. So he's, he's pointing to that. He's pointing to that thing. And so he loves this picture. He loves these stories. He loves these analogies. And he's sitting with these guys as they eat whatever they're eating. And he's saying, oh, guys, I wanna point you to something better, something bigger, something grander. And so with, with that in mind, uh, we pick up in verse, verse 15. When one of those at the table heard him, uh, with him heard this, that bit about the resurrection of the righteous, when one of those, those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, oh, blessed is the one who will, who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So there's been silence up to this point from the, from the people at the table. And so you see there's like this one guy, he's itching to like break the silence or say something. He's like, uh, hey, blessed are those who are going to be at that feast, huh? Huh, Jesus, right? And you can just see Jesus, he's like, uh, he rolls his eyes like, oh, gosh. And then he looks at him real strong and he's like, so this is what he says, verse 16. Jesus replied, he's like, bro, you don't get it. Let me spell it out for you. Verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. So big parties like this back then, uh, the way they happened is because I mean, it wasn't like, wasn't like now where they had refrigeration and, and stuff that was already pre-made or half-made. Um, they would say, hey, I'm going to have, they would send out an invitation to all the people that they wanted to be there and say, hey, I'm going to have a party. It's going to be about this time. But, you know, getting all the supplies together and getting everything just right, I, I can't tell you exactly what time it's going to start. It's not going to be like six o'clock sharp or anything like that. But we'll send a, the second invitation, a second message to you to say, hey, it's time to party. Come on now. And, uh, and so there's, it was kind of a double invitation situation, an RSVP, and then, uh, and then, hey, the party's starting. So this is what happened. He invited a lot of people. The first invitation had gone out. Then the second invitation goes out. Uh, send a servant uh, to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So he goes out and says, okay, the second invitation is ready. It's time. Let's party. You guys come on in. I'm ready for you. The meat's ready. Uh, the, the drink is ready. The place is, is set up. We've got the decorations. The entertainment is, is all set. It's time, to, it's time to party. So he sends it out. So uh, verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. They all of them began to make excuses. The people who, were, who, made, who had RSVP'd and said, we'll be there. And the second invitation comes. They began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see. Please excuse me. I, hey, get, I would love to come, but I, you know, I just bought this field. Uh, I, gotta, I really got to go. So sorry. Please excuse me. So you need to understand his excuse is lame. <laughs> he bought a field and it's still going to be there. Whether you see it now or after the party, it's, it's a plot of dirt. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. So he says, yeah, I really got to go check out my new field, you know. And uh, no, no, you really don't. So he gives this lame excuse. Verse, th verse 19, next guy. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Five yoke of oxen. Now, I don't know if you know much about buying oxen, but in the first century, five yoke, that's a lot of oxen. Most people had one yoke of oxen to tend to their ground that they had. This guy must be loaded because he just bought five yoke. Also, that's a huge investment. That's, a yoke is a pair. They, they pull together on a plow. Just extra. Um, 
<clears throat> so when you buy oxen, you don't just like buy these things sight unseen. You're investing in these animals and you need them to do work. And so you want to make sure they're healthy and that they can pull some stuff and they're of good size and the yoke are, are equal, that one's not going to be bigger than the other one. So you would observe and try them out before you've even bought them. This is like you going on the internet and buying a car and you come home to your roommates and your, or your wife and you're like, hey, bought a new car. Oh, okay. Wh what'd you get? Oh, I don't know. I hadn't seen it yet. What? That's ridiculous. So whatever this excuse is, he says, hey, please excuse me. Uh, it's lame. He's making something up. He's saying, yeah, I got to go check out my new oxes, you know. And uh, so strange, strange excuses these guys are giving. Verse 20. Still another said, uh, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> so the first two guys had lame excuses. This guy's just rude. <laughs> D doubly rude. Here's what happens. He knew he was getting married. That was not, that thing, did, that didn't just happen. So why did you RSVP in the first place and say you would come to the party if you knew you were going to be busy? So then when it does come, the second invitation, he's like, yeah, see, thing is, I just got married. And so I'm busy, honeymoon, my wife, and old bottle and chain, you know, and just kidding. He probably didn't say, maybe he did. But uh, <clears throat> whatever the issue was, he just said, yeah, I can't come. He didn't say, please excuse me. He just said, nope, ain't going to make it. Sorry, I lied in the first place. Uh, so you got three guys that respond that don't respond to the invitation. They've been, they've been invited to this huge banquet by this really important guy. And they say, they said they would come and then they say, no, I'm not coming. And they give these lame excuses. So verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in, watch this, Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. That took a turn. So Jesus says that the guy that's having this party invites some people and they can't make it. But the guy who's having a party doesn't postpone the party. He doesn't say, oh, well, okay, well, you know, you know how long it's going to take you to check those oxen out? When are you going to be back from the field? Or, hey, what do you, how can I help you convince your wife that you can come to the party? Like, what, what do we need to do here to get you there? He just says, oh, you're not coming? Party's still happening. And I'm going to invite some people. So he goes out and invites the most unlikely people that he could think of, especially in the presence of the people that he's having this banquet with, that he's having this meal with, where he's telling this parable. He says, bring in the crippled and the lame and the blind and the poor. The people that his meal uh, friends here didn't want to be associated, associated with. The people, many of these people on this list, the poor, the lame, they couldn't even worship with them. They were considered not worthy to come into the temple, into the area that they could worship in. He says, and Jesus poignantly says, invite those people to the party. So those hearing this parable are like, oh, you mean that? <clears throat> Verse 22, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. But there's still room. There's still room at the party. Verse 23, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. So he says, hey, we have outsiders here, people who don't belong, people who are outcasts, people who think these people aren't okay. 
They're the ones who have invited the party and there's room for more. Okay, go get some more people who are even more outside. They're outside the city. They're out on the highways. They live in bushes along the lanes and the, in the, in the hedges along these fields. Go get those people. They are dirty and unclean. Again, people that those that are in Jesus' audience didn't want to be associated with, couldn't worship with, didn't want to be around. Jesus says, go get those people and bring them into the banquet. Verse 24, I tell you, not one of those who I invited will get to taste of my banquet. You see what, you see what Jesus did, just did there? He was telling a story about this guy who threw a party. And then he switched it. It got personal. He said, I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get to taste my banquet. So all of a sudden, once again, Jesus is pointing to something else. He's saying, this is not just some story. This is going to happen. I'm going to throw a party. And those who reject my invitation will not be let in. They will not get to taste the good stuff I have for those who, I, who, get, who come, those who respond to my invitation. And Jesus right now, he is kicking the hornet's nest. You'll see, this is why they didn't, they, they didn't invite him to any more meals after this. Because <laughs> he walked in and said, there's something that needs to be said, I'm going to say it to you. It's like this, and he tells these stories. He says in a way that, was obviously offensive to them. The Jewish religious leaders reject the invitation, Jesus is saying. So now he's inviting the outsiders, those who never thought that they had, a, they had the right to be with God. Those who in that culture said, God must hate me because look at my life. God must be cursing me because look at these ailments I have or look at where I live or look at the status of where I am. I must not be okay. And Jesus says, no, 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 invite those people. Those are the people who I'm inviting to my party to taste what I have, to see what I've got for them. It's, and not only is it just outsiders within this Jewish society, but even that, that, that there's imagery here, there's some foreshadowing that Luke purposefully includes. Because remember, Luke is the same guy who, who writes the book of Luke, and it's, it's the gospel of the four gospels. It's the one most clearly written towards a Gentile audience. And then he goes on to write the book of Acts that we've studied before together here at Resonate, where, he, where we see the moving of the gospel outside of just the Jewish people to the Gentile people. It's one of the major plots of the book of Acts. And so, so Paul's foreshadowing what's to come, the invitation to those who are outsiders. And, uh, and that's alluded to here. And the picture here is this. The leaders had established their life. Imagine those who, who rejected the invitation. And he's speaking to those that he's surrounded by. The leaders, the religious leaders of this day, the people he's eating this meal with, they had established their life. And Jesus' invitation was an inconvenience to the life that they had made for themselves, for the kingdoms that they had built. They were busy. Uh, so they forgo the great banquet of the kingdom of God so they can carry on with their menial little kingdoms that they were building for themselves. So they had, they had done everything they could to bring themselves to the top of society, the top of their culture, so that everyone looked at them. You read more about these guys, these religious leaders, and they, they, they flaunted their, the, what they, even what they wore, said, hey, look how, look how holy I am, look how righteous I am. Not really in their heart, but what it looked like on the outside. Jesus would say stuff like, dude, quit worrying about what you look like on the outside and be concerned about what's going on on the inside. You're hypocrites. Woe to you, he would say over and over and over again, that this is not going to go well for you. He's saying you're building your own little kingdoms, trying to make something for yourself when what you need to do is just like that first parable. You need to humble yourself. Here's what Jesus is saying. People, don't get, people who don't belong get into the banquet. 
unless we realize this is what we need to hear out of this today. It's what he was saying to those who are sitting there, calling them to repentance, and what he's saying to us here today. Unless we realize that we are the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame and the unclean living on the roads and in the hedges, unless we are recognize that that's really who we all are, then we too will reject our invitation. We too will reject the invitation that Jesus is giving us. If we don't see our own brokenness, then we won't realize our desperate need for a Savior. If we don't see our own brokenness, we won't recognize it. If we think our life is all right without God, we won't realize how much we need him. If we think, man, I'm doing okay. I mean, I can pay my bills this month. The fact is, i got some money in the savings, and I'm adding more to it. I drive a pretty decent car. People like me. Life's all right. I've got it under control. And so we, we're tempted to say, hey, everything's okay. I think God likes me. The fact is, he's probably glad to have me on his team. He's probably glad I'm here. Because look, look, at, look at what I made for myself. And I know we don't say those things out loud, maybe. But deep down, there's somewhere in us where we find comfort in what we've made for ourselves and not ultimately trusting him and what he's done for us. And so if that's the case, we'll be just like these religious leaders. We'll say, I'm doing okay on my own. Look, I've got, I've got some stuff going on, Jesus. Don't interrupt the stuff I've got going on. Look, I'm sure you're having a great party, but I'm doing pretty good on my own. So Jesus, over and over again, he says that it, it, back in chapter 9 of, of, chap, of, of the book of Luke, if you love your life, you'll, do, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll truly find it. He says that just a chapter before in, in, in verse 13, the first will be last and the last will be first. So in light of this, as we look at this third parable, it's screaming out about what he's really talking about in those first two parables. There was some good stuff there that you could write down and you could say, if I'm going to follow Jesus, yes, I need to live in humility and not think of myself more highly than I ought. That's good teaching. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Yes, I need to use what I have to be generous to others who don't have, not just uh, get people to like me more. That's true, but there's something deeper going on there. The question of how do we get a good seat? The reality is we don't deserve a seat at the place of honor, but Jesus comes and gets us and brings us to sit with him. He says, you are broken. Things are not okay. What you've made for yourself is broken. Do you feel that? Do you look at your life and if you're really honest with yourself, it's like, this can't be the way it's supposed to be. Oh, I need someone to come and rescue me out of this. I'm sitting on the, on the edges. The fact is, I probably don't even deserve to be here at all to even watch this. And Jesus says, why don't you come in? Why don't you come close? Who gets invited to the party? What's he trying to say there? Jesus invites those to his feast that could never repay him. Jesus says, don't invite people to your party that can repay you. Jesus says, that's what I'm doing. I'm inviting you to my party. And there's nothing you can do to repay me for what I've done. There's no way you can earn my favor through your good deeds. We don't earn our way there. He gives us free entry to the party that we have no, be no business being at. When I was walking through those displays of the Titanic uh, on, the, on the ship, there were three classes. There was first class, which was awesome. They, this talked about uh, what it would cost these days to buy a first class ticket on the Titanic, and it was like $50,000. Like just the extreme of opulence, the extreme of, of luxury. So that was first class. And then there was second class, and, they, and, and third class 
And they were, they were expensive tickets. But compared to other third-class and second-class areas of other ships that were, that were available to them at that time, uh, the Titanic was just steps above. So third-class felt like second-class. Second-class felt like first-class. First-class was like nothing else in the world. And so they talked about when people would go in, especially in second class, that where they would sit for their meals was right next to where the first class people sat. And so just the ornate architecture within the ship and the foods that they ate and how they were served and everything about it, the, the second class people felt like they were in first class. In fact, some of them felt like, wait, am I in the right place? I feel like I've been seated in the wrong place. You guys know I'm second class, right? You're treating me like I'm first class. Similarly, you need to understand when Jesus brings us in, it's going to be just like that. You're going to say, I don't belong here. This isn't for me. Jesus, do you know who I am? Do you know how wretched I am? Do you know how broken I am? If you can find yourself at that place where you recognize your need for a savior, you recognize your need for someone to rescue you, and Jesus says, oh, that's who I want. That's, who's, that's who gets into the banquet. And it's gonna be so much better than you could ever imagine. That the things this world has to offer pale in comparison. He's saying, oh, the feast is going to be good, and I want you to be there. I know you don't deserve it, but I've done what needs to happen to get you there. This is God's grace. This is his amazing grace, giving us what we don't deserve. The gospel is this. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live, but didn't, but can't, but haven't. The worthy life. Jesus lived it. And then died the death that we were condemned to die. The death that Jesus died, that was our death. We deserve that death. We deserve that wrath, that punishment, the punishment for our sins. Jesus took it for us. And then he offered us that life, the eternal life that he had gained. He offers it to us as a gift, a free gift. When my son opened up presents yesterday at our kitchen table and he got all these new, new toys and new gifts, we didn't say, all right, by the way, you need to pay us for those. No, they were gifts. <laughs> By the way, this is how many chores you got to do to, to, to earn those things. No, they were gifts. No expectations. And Jesus is saying, hey, the invitation is wide open. Notice he still gave an invitation to those three guys who rejected it. He's still giving an invitation to those religious leaders that are sitting around him at the table. What they have to do is set aside the kingdom that they built for themselves and step into the kingdom of God. Where they are not the pinnacle. They are not what's the most glorious. They fall on their knees before the one who's worthy of worship, Jesus. And they say, you are God, you are my God. He says, you have to give it up. You have to give up your life. Right after this, in Jesus' teaching here, he says, if you don't, if, truly, if you don't hate your father and mother and your family and your kids and your life, you can't be a part of the kingdom. When he says hate there, what he's saying is it's gonna look like hate because of the way you treat others in your life compared to the rest of the world and how you put God before all else. He says, if you don't pick up your cross daily, you can't be a part of the kingdom. And that was strong language. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet, mind you. He's saying, if you don't die like that, then you're missing it. If you don't crucify your life here, then you're missing it. These parables are an invitation into the kingdom. There's good teaching here about how to interact and how to follow Jesus and act like him. And trust me, he hasn't asked you to do anything in his kingdom that he hasn't done already. Indeed, he humbled himself. He left heaven to come to be with us. Indeed, he, he humbled himself so much that he was willing to die in our place, to take, to take the punishment, to take, uh, to take what was deserved for our sin. That's humbling yourself. 
And then, as Philippians chapter 2 says, the Father exalted him to the very best seat, to the very best seat, and, and exalted his name above every name, and at his name every knee, forever, for all time, will bow before him. He humbled himself ultimately, and he was exalted ultimately. And Jesus said, come with me, because I want you to sit with me. I want you to sit next to me at my banquet table, so that you'll be there with me, exalted with me. He's inviting us in. He's inviting us in. It's an invitation. So we can respond in two ways today. As we wrap up, I want, you to, I want you to respond in two ways, okay? You can respond to Jesus' invitation to his great feast. Look, if you are here today, if you're listening to this and you've never responded to Jesus' invitation, the invitation is free and it's wide open. No matter who you are and what you think you've done, no matter how unworthy you think you are, or no matter how great you think you are, the invitation is open, and all you need to do is say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I am not. Jesus, you are the kingdom, my kingdom, and I am not. Jesus, my life is yours. I accept this free gift that you've given me. I recognize that I have made a mess of it myself, that I am broken, and I can't fix myself. Only the one who made me can fix me. If you are willing to humble yourself, to step into the banquet like that, he says, oh, there's plenty of places for you at the table. And so if that is you this morning, I want, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to pray to the Father, to pray to the Lord and say, Jesus, I want to accept your invitation. And here at the service, maybe as we sing here in just a moment or after the service, I want you to pull somebody who you came with this morning and ask them, help me understand how to receive that invitation. Have that conversation. They would love to have that conversation with you. And if you feel like you don't have anyone you can have that conversation with in that connection card that we talked about, you can check off the box. I'm interested in talking about what it means to become a follower of Jesus. We'd love for you to check that box and we'd love to help you answer those questions you have. We'd love to help you understand how to take that next step and respond to this invitation that Jesus is giving to you. If you say, yes, I've, I've accepted that invitation. I've accepted that. I need to hear this truth. If that is you this morning, I want you to just say thank you. We're gonna worship here in a moment. We're gonna sing songs about who God is. And in those moments in your heart, I want you to scream it out with your voice. I want you to say, thank you, Jesus. Keep worshiping, because that's what you were made for. That's why Jesus came to get you is so you could worship, because there's something in you that is made to worship, and the only thing that you're made to worship is God himself. It's intricately, you're created that way. It's, part, it's like breathing air. You're created that way. You're created to worship him, the one who created you. That's what's best for you. And you can keep giving your life to Jesus. Let him lead you. He's got some great adventures for you in his mission here. And he's got a great feast for you to be a part of. So thank him for his amazing grace. Ponder it. Think on it. Let it shape your life and the way you live towards God and the way you live towards others. Let's respond to him. Let's listen to his voice. Let's respond. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this chance to be together. It's good to be together, Lord. God, and we look towards the day when we will all be together with you and everything will be complete and all will be made right. And you will treat us not like we deserve, but you will treat us well. God, we look forward to that day. God, I pray for those who are here today who need to respond to your invitation. God, you know their names. You know what's going on in their life. You know where they're at. You know they're broken. God, help them to see their brokenness. I ask that on their behalf. God, help them to humble themselves and say yes to the invitation.
to not put it off, to not say, no, I've got some stuff I got to take care of, or after I get this done, then I'll come, or, uh, you know, I'm really busy and I don't want to let go of the kingdom I made for myself. God, help them to release that to you. God, help us to trust you with the way you say is the best way to live, to trust that your way really is the best way. Help us to walk in that. God, help us to worship you like we were made to. God, may we, everywhere we go, usher in your kingdom. May we live like that, pointing people just like Jesus did to something greater, to something beyond. God, we ask these things, these requests, we ask them this morning. We ask them in Jesus' name, in whom we have salvation, in whom we have hope. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.